We think we've learned a lot so far about farming, but it doesn't take long when we're talking to someone who's done it for a while to realize how much more we need to learn. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze. Beginners learning subsistence farming using three simple principles. Approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it. And we don't make allness statements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our 50th podcast. It's hard to believe this is the 50th time we've sat down together and done this. Sort of like a golden podcast anniversary or something. (laughs) I don't know. And an indication that we're getting pretty close to our annual anniversary for podcasts. True. Um, Because we do it weekly, and if this is our 50th, that means we're um, closing in on a year of doing this. Not a year living at the farm, because I think we started doing the podcast a little before we moved. But uh, That's true, that's true. But getting close. And we had the wonderful opportunity this week to visit with not one, but two farmers. One uh, young man who is a college student, but grew up on a farm, and the other was your uncle. That's right. And he would probably resist the label farmer, because he's lived in the city most of his life, But like my mother, they grew up in Troy for the first part of their lives, and their mother did a good bit of gardening. And then my uncle continued gardening actively and putting out uh, especially tomatoes. He did very well with his tomatoes. So um, he has stayed with the um, horticultural efforts. Very much so during his lifetime. So let's talk about uh, both of them. The first was Jonathan um, Meeks, who is, whom we met at New College at the University of Alabama. Jonathan grew up on a farm in North Alabama and um, came to visit with us last weekend, and we just had a delightful visit with him. And he brought us some rich pine. I thought that was a really nice gift. And that gardenia, beautiful gardenia. True. Uh, rich pine is Jonathan's term for what you and I have come to call fat lighter, which is the uh, sap-rich um, stump, typically, of a pine tree, and usually, I think, a longleaf pine, mm-hmm. where the sap settles in and it's got lots of content where it will burn hot and continually, and it's great for starting fires. Right. And I understand that you were so inspired by that that you went down and took out after a stump. Jonathan (laughs) pointed out a a fat lighter stump or rich pine stump on our property. So yesterday while you were gone to Birmingham, I um, went over and looked at it with the axe and started whacking away at it. Actually did more damage to the axe than I did to the stump. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the stumps around here are beginning to, what would the word be? Um, turn into stone. I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, I was able to chip off a few little sticks here and there, and uh, we'll have a chance to see how they burn. Uh, but I do need to be careful not to tear up my axe. My axe handle hit on the stump several times, and that's not good for an axe. So I'm learning. Right, right. And Jonathan also taught us a trick to build uh, cheaper, quicker trellises, which we are 
probably going to use this fall even for your fresh tomatoes that you planted. Right. Yeah, actually, I have a couple of uh, tomatoes that are doing extremely well and uh, growing just, you know, to the point they're beginning to need something to help them stand up a little bit better. And in a, um, obviously, a move designed to cultivate my trellis building skills, you separated them by a good distance for no apparent reason. Actually, from the other tomatoes, yes, that's true. I separated them from each other according to directions of how far they should be spaced. But they, um, I told you my reason for that, which was the soil where the other tomatoes are planted. If we could do, if we could do a do-over, that would not be where I would have put those tomatoes because true. they've got wet feet. Yes, that is poorly drained soil. So I wanted to move the new tomatoes away from that, but still keep them on the same row so that when we rotate our crops in the future, I still have all my nightshades together. And, and I have that. no problem with your moving them to a different location. My question was, why did you have to space them so far apart from each other? Because they're supposed to be two feet apart. Yes, which is a great, great reason to put them two feet apart rather than eight feet apart. Oh, okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Uh, Jonathan also showed us how to drill some holes in our stumps to help them rot, and we have done that. And we had a good conversation about using windmills to pump water. That is directly, not using windmills to, to make electricity, uh, but to use them to pump water directly. And it sounds like a great idea, but we think we may have hit an obstacle in using windmills. Our topography here. Our topography exactly. is an obstacle for a lot of things. <laughs> I, I did not realize until I really got into the research and started looking at it, but a windmill needs a, uh, an, uh, an obstruction-free zone for 400 feet around it and needs to be 20 feet above any obstruction within 200 feet. Um, and we're nowhere near that. There's just nowhere I know where we could accomplish that other than by getting a tower that would be so tall as to be cost prohibitive. Yeah. But we'll keep thinking about ideas for production. We, certainly PV is an idea. Absolutely. For, Photovoltaic yeah. panels um, probably mounted on the south-facing slope of the pole barn. Mm -hmm. And uh, we think that may make sense for us, so. Well, you want to talk a little bit about um, our conversation with Uncle Clyde? You talked to him a little bit more than I did, I think, about the did tomatoes. I? Yeah, because I was in there cutting up cantaloupe. But okay. anyway. Well, it was a delightful conversation. This is your mama's brother, Uncle Clyde, her little brother. <laughs> and we went to visit with him on Sunday and just visited with him about all kinds of things. But one of the things we started talking about is his success with tomatoes. And I asked him what uh, variety he liked and... He said, I never did very well with the boys. And what he means by the boys is big boy and better boy. Mm -hmm. His preference is celebrity. And you and I have researched since then and learned that celebrity is one of those varieties that ACES, the Alabama Cooperative Extension Service, still recommends. So we'll... Uh, Try some celebrity tomatoes and see Absolutely. how we do. Yeah, and he had some interesting advice for us about when to plant. Plant the spring garden, you yes. mean the summer garden, right? Yeah. Yeah. What did he tell? He said, "Wait till the week after Good Friday." He said, of, "I don't ever like to plant on Good Friday. I like to wait a week or two later," which was the first time we'd ever heard that. Here in Central Alabama, 
it's sort of written down in the gospel somewhere that you plant your summer garden on Good Friday. If I had gotten everything in for the summer garden by the week after Good Friday, I would have still been okay. It was so much after that. Oh, way, <laughs> way after that. Yeah. So. This was this was our week of strain uh, our year for strange schedules because of the yeah. deer fence. Yeah. I certainly hope it's the on, the only year we'll yeah. get off schedule. And badly. You, you and I have talked about this that with climate change being what it is that may also um, support the idea of moving the timetable forward yes. to March. And even if Good Friday doesn't happen till April, we may still need to be doing that in March. Because of, or for certain, certain crops. And along those lines, we've had a brief conversation with, about this, and we will have other conversations about it in the future. You and I are talking rather seriously now about our growing life changing in response to climate change. That's right. And what we're talking about doing, tentatively at least, is creating or treating the summer as one of two seasons. An early season that would start on or before Good Friday, and then a late season that really focuses on fall production. Mm -hmm. And the period of hot, hot, brutally punishing summer would be primarily set aside for okra and keeping the weeds at bay. Yeah, because so many of those those uh, crops just don't do well when it's punishingly hot, if that's a word. <laughs> like you said, I mean, tomatoes split. We have talked a little bit this week, though, about putting up some shade cloth next year for the tomatoes. Exactly. It, I guess we would be looking at uh, the, the core of the summertime, and I guess I'm thinking July the 1st through August the 15th or so, when all we're doing is just trying to cope with the heat. And one of the ways that we might cope with the heat is by using shade cloth mm -hmm. here right, and there. Right. But I think so. And given the success that the fall garden seems to be off to, it, it lends, because I do think we actually effectively do have a late season Absolutely. garden, as you're saying. The squash is doing great now. And the zucchini, and we're doing real well with your fall veg, the collards, cabbage, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, kale. Right. All of that seems to be doing real well, and all the and it was planted in early September, as right. I remember. Mm -hmm. So um, that we're learning, and and we'll keep circling in on that. We included a little item to talk about today about dumpster diving, and I thought <laughs> it would be fun for us to um, talk about what we've done. It's not as bad as it sounds, though, because the dumpster in question is not one of those with that people put like garbage of uh you know dis decaying food in it's just a cardboard dot as nearly as we can so, tell yeah. it's used primarily for the cardboard boxes we need to pause and express our gratitude to bonner medical equipment in tallacy the good folks at bonner um provide wheelchairs and um help monitors and blood pressure takers and so forth but they're big components, and those big components must come in cardboard boxes because they have a big dumpster back behind their business that stays full of big cardboard boxes. So lately, we've taken to plundering their dumpster for cardboard 
and using it on Veg Hill. Right. I use that for weed suppression. I think we've talked about this previously, that and newspaper um, that you can put down and then we just layer hay on top of that, it, mostly in the aisles. But I think just to get the weeds under control in the sort of the back part, the south part of the garden before we do our daikon radishes, we're going to try some of that uh, to get the, like I said, to get the weeds under control. And then we'll remove the cardboard where we want to plant, but leave the aisles covered over because there's no reason to take it up from there. And then what you're putting hay on top of the cardboard yes. just to hold it down. Just to hold it to, down, and it looks a little bit better. Yeah, it's more it makes natural. It look a little better. But I've already done a good bit of Veg Hill, and we'll continue to work on that. Um, and so far, it yeah. is having its desired effect. Yes. It is suppressing yeah, weeds. It is. So, uh, so anyway, that's that's a little um, extracurricular activity that we've got going on. <laughs> um, oh, your compost. That looked really good. I looked at that the other day. Did you look at it? Yeah. It, um, I think I probably mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I transferred the compost pile, our kitchen compost pile, up the hill. And I was looking at the log today and determined that it was September the 14th when I moved it up there. That's basically a little more than two weeks ago. And since I moved it up there, I have been turning it and keeping it thoroughly moistened. And the fascinating thing is, in a little more than two weeks, it's matured. I mean, it's ripe now, and it's ready to use. It just looks like nice, rich black dirt. <laughs> it does. It, it looks wonderful and smells wonderful. But it's fascinating to me that that happened in two weeks. Uh, I was expecting it to be more like six. What can we say? Nature at work. Yeah. <laughs> Good forces. This week also, I got down on the south end of the property where we have some kudzu breaking out. And um, what I'm working on doing to it is just gapping it wherever I see it. And I'll gap it and then come back and visit it several days later. And whatever's still green, I'll gap some more and we'll just keep working away at it. But um, for the benefit of those who are not here in the southeast of uh, the United States, kudzu is an invasive species that has more or less taken over the south, and um, we're scared of it. Yeah, we really uh, want to nip this in the bud as much as possible. I think two years ago, was that when you got down, on the first little sign you'd seen, you got down and gapped it and used, what was the chemical you used on it? Garline, so, which yeah. is a regular nasty old uh, herbicide. Mm -hmm. We should stress, since we are definitely organic farmers, to let you know that this is on the other side of the property. We'd never use anything like that anywhere near our food crop. This is down low, the food crop's up high, and I would say in terms of feet, I don't know how far it is away from where we're planting. It's but like I said, it's on the other It'd be side more of the than creek. A and, feet. Yeah, it's a long way away. Um, and luckily, that's the only place we've seen the kudzu. It's not anywhere near the veg. So, uh, but it, we probably we want to be as natural and organic with as we can. But uh, we absolutely do not want kudzu getting a foothold on this property. Yeah, it has our attention, so we're going to stay after that. We've had the first taste of fall Ooh, this week. Oh, it was so nice. We went out and spent some time out in the vegetable garden yesterday morning. Just I was puttering around and killing odd grasshoppers and 
hornworms. <laughs> <laughs> Not seeing quite as many of the hornworms as I was, but um, it, it was just such a pleasant feeling. I could live this way forever. Absolutely. Wouldn't we love to have this weather year-round? But, of course, then it wouldn't be the right way to grow. So, I wanted to share with you an incident that happened yesterday. You were gone to Birmingham, and I drove into town. And while I was there, I had lunch at the Pizza Hut while I was reading about soil uh, growth because that's the next subject we talk about in Master Gardener. And while I was sitting at the table, the server came to bust the table next to me, and I was blown away by the quantity of food the people had left. It was one couple who had eaten there, and there were three plates piled high with food they had gotten off the buffet line but had not eaten. And she saw me looking at her, and she said, can I get you something? A good server would ask that. And I said, no, I'm just grieving over how much food you're having to throw away, which started a good conversation with her in which I learned, at least according to her, that the health department will not allow restaurants to give food to people like us to use in our compost. And that was a surprise. What what could be wrong with using old food in compost? I don't know. Well, the, we talked about the fact that we don't. I don't know a lot about pathogens, but um, even if someone were sick, wouldn't you think in the the high heat that's generated in a compost pile, in a properly constructed compost pile, maybe they're concerned that people don't know how to construct compost pile. But I have a feeling it never crosses their minds because it's not part of the way the USDA thinks. You're probably Or the health department thinks. I mean, nobody, you know, in our mainstream government, I shouldn't say nobody, that's an honest statement, but um, it's not part of the mainstream health or public welfare So we want to learn more about that and see if there's any way that we farmers can benefit from all of that good food being thrown away, sent to a landfill of all things. It's just crazy. In a plastic bag, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just briefly, we um, have been remiss in not keeping our our database updated. And you and I had the chance yesterday to bring it all the way up to current, which felt good to me and I hope to you it as did, well. It did. It did. I didn't feel nearly so guilty when I go out and plant something new. To so say, our longleaf planting database is current now and will need to be changed because I guess today you'll be planting some romaine lettuce. Yeah, I stopped by Petals from the Past yesterday and got some more romaine lettuce. So that, among uh, a few other seeds, will go in the ground and uh, we'll... We'll definitely keep that updated for everyone to to, uh, peruse. And we'll share more about that with you next week. Have a good week. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. We'd love to hear from you. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Or you can send us honest-to-goodness mail at P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log, check in with Lee and Amanda, and talk with other listeners. That's longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. 
see you next week.